So can I ask you, uh, are you a good judge of character? Uh, I wonder whether you think of yourself as being someone, yeah, I'm a pretty good judge of character. And upon what do you base your decisions when you judge someone's character? Because apparently, we all do it. Uh, One academic study within education revealed that high school teachers, this is in America, make judgments about students within 30 seconds of meeting them, and their end-of-semester reports end up being remarkably similar to the judgment they made within the first 30 seconds. The same, apparently, is true of head teachers and how they rate the teachers in their schools. Within 30 seconds, often they have made up their minds a snap judgment about the quality of that teacher, and that snap judgment didn't dramatically change when it came to those teachers' reviews and appraisals. Interesting, if not slightly concerning. And in fact, in another study at Princeton University, showed that we all make judgments within milliseconds on the basis of people's faces. And many of our interactions after that initial judgment, our judgment does not change even as we interact with the person. We've made a judgment and then the lens through which we filter all of the interactions is on the basis of that initial snap judgment. So it seems that whether or not you think of yourself as being a good judge of character, we all do judge people whether we realize it or not. And you are doing it right now. You may be looking at me and judging what I'm wearing, whether my beard needs a trim, the bags under my eyes. And just to encourage you, the person next to you has made a judgment about you this morning. And you've made one about them. (laughs) Am I a mind reader? No, I'm not. So I can't read your judgments. Well, as we get to this second chapter of the book of James, as we continue our series called Distinct, all about how followers of Jesus are called to live differently than the culture in which we're in. James burrows down on this issue about how we judge people. And it is a much bigger deal than we might imagine. And he summarizes it right in verse 1. Here it is. This is from the New International Version. This is what James says. My brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. That word favoritism literally means making a judgment on the basis of somebody's face. And this sets the scene for the next few verses. Now, it seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? I would imagine that if we're asked for a show of hands in the room here, and if you guys at home, if you're chatting with each other, how many of us show favoritism? Not many of us would like to admit that we do. You know, we're a bit like Bruce Forsyth. You remember where he said that you're my favorite, and you're my favorite, and you're my favorite, and you're my favorite. We want everybody to think that they're our favorites. The very idea of having favorites in a British context goes against sort of our idea of fair play. Now, James isn't saying that you can't have your closer friends or those you love that are more intimate in your relationship. Of course, that's not what he's saying. He makes it pretty clear what he's saying in the next few verses, verses 2 to 4. And he sets a scene, and you can imagine it here at church. 
You can imagine it for you joining us at home. In any of our gatherings, suppose a man comes into the meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. You can imagine the scene, can't you? Somebody coming in the back, looking pretty sharp, dressed in Gucci. Or maybe not so bling as Gucci. Sorry to anyone that is wearing Gucci this morning. But, you know, just carries themselves well. And you look at them and you think they're both wealthy. They've got their life all together. And you can tell they're new. And so you sort of, you know, you sit them down in a place that they can see. And you might want to have a bit of a chat with them and say, let's catch a coffee afterwards as we have refreshments. And then meanwhile, you notice in the corner of your eye another person that comes in. And you can tell because you can smell him as he comes in. And you look at the state of his clothes. It's not the sort of clothes that you'd wear. And you're wondering, where should we put him? Now, I can't put them next to them because they might be put off. So you just want to sit here slightly on the side. Uh, Nice to see you. Yeah, somebody will be with you soon. James goes on, verse 3. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Do we treat people differently on the basis of their externals, is what James is saying. Are you more relaxed around one sort of person than another? Do you introduce people to certain people or not? Very mundane situation. But James says something shocking about it. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Wow. Not just, it's a bit bit bad, but you you shouldn't really do that. It's not very good to you to make judgments like that. He refers to that kind of action as evil. Without realizing we've assumed the posture of a judge setting ourselves over somebody. Wow. This is not just some slight middle class tendency to make millisecond judgments. But why then does James so strong on it? Why is this such a big deal? Well, he goes on, verse 4. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those? who are poor in the eyes of the world, to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him, verse 5. James says you're looking down on the very ones that God has lifted up. You've made a judgment about people that God looks at very differently. Now it's worth just pausing and dwelling on something here for a moment. The New Testament doesn't say that poor people are somehow more worthy of God's love, or that they're more righteous in God's eyes. No, but James refers to them as being rich in faith. Simply, those who are wealthy in this life seem to have less need for God, because they can just get out the credit card, buy whatever they need, and life seems to be relatively okay for many. But if you've got no idea where your next meal comes from, you've got to have help from someone so God, help, because I don't know where it comes from. That's what he's saying. Those, if you've got not the trappings of this world, you have more need, more obvious need of God. And therefore, you're more thankful when you get that help. It was a joy, by the way, we've referred to already. Riverside Pantry kicked off this week. 
on Thursday, 42 people the first week turned up. And it was such a buzz as people were able to get decent food for very, very little. Fantastic. Jesus himself said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And what James is simply saying is, when we make a snap judgment like that, we are dishonoring the ones who God honors. And to make it even worse, he goes on. He's really twisting the screw now. Verse 6, but you've dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into the courts? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? What he's simply saying is, friends, when people are opposed Christians, it's not generally the poor people that are doing so. It's the people with power, the elite, those with influence and money and status. It's always those ones. And yet you're trying to pander to those, is what he's saying. But you might say, Tim, okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. Occasionally I might judge a book by its cover, but what's the big deal really? I mean, I'm pretty competent socially, and so I might make a little judgment in my mind, but I don't actively treat them seriously. I wouldn't necessarily put them in a different chair. What is it that James is referring to as being evil? After all, I've not murdered anyone. I've just made a little judgment in my mind. No one needs to know. Well, James says to us, let me remind you of something. Listen to what he says, verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, which is love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said you shan't commit adultery also said you should not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. He's simply highlighting a shocking fact. He refers to the royal law, which is what Jesus says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Those kind of summarize everything. And what James is simply saying is God's ways are fundamentally summarized by those two things. Love God, love people. And so you say, I haven't murdered anyone, I haven't committed adultery, which of course breaks those loving God and loving people. But so too does judging someone on the basis of their appearance and treating them differently. Because you've effectively differentiated and said they are more or less worthy. It's the same thing. We've not loved God because he lifts them up and we've not loved people as ourselves. Favoritism is simply putting yourself higher than others. Judging people by their externals, their backgrounds, their education, their language, the cut of their jib, the way they carry themselves, the decisions they make simply putting ourselves above them. And the reason why is it so serious? And he ends with some of the most challenging verses in the Bible. And as I was preparing for this, these cut me to the heart. Verse 12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy 
will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In effect, when we judge others, we are forgetting our own need of mercy. That's what he's saying. Do you notice how James began verse 1? He said this, Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. He could have said anything about Jesus, our compassionate Lord Jesus Christ, our loving Lord Jesus Christ, our victorious Lord Jesus Christ, all through, but he says our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Simply what he's doing is reminding all of us that face to face with Jesus, he's the glorious one, not us, even with our Gucci. In fact, compared to him, as Isaiah says, even our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. The very best that we have to offer is nothing compared to his glory. So how on earth can we judge other people? When we need his mercy, how can we therefore judge others? We are in effect saying, I don't think I do need his mercy. When we judge others, we're refusing to recognize our own status before the glorious one. It's almost as if we live out this t-shirt, is what he's saying. I love this t-shirt. I don't know if you can read it. Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. We joke, we laugh. I remember once I was applying for a job. This is before I came to Riverside, just so that you know. (laughs) Applying for a job, and I was praying that I would get this role. And then I remember thinking, I'm effectively praying that somebody else doesn't get it. course in one sense that's obvious but actually what happens if somebody is more better equipped or for them where they're at it is the right thing in God's eyes and so therefore when I didn't get it I'm able to filter it differently but when we think of ourselves as slightly higher we expect certain things that's why in the Lord's prayer as Jesus teaches his disciples to pray forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So friends, are you a good judge of character? First thing is this, judging people on the basis of external things goes dead against the good news of Jesus Christ. Because before Jesus, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he stepped into our mess, the glorious one, to show us mercy. We all need it. How can we not then extend mercy to others? The second thing is this. Trying to please the very people who are against the Christian community just doesn't make any sense. Friends, We support Open Doors here as a church, working with our sisters and brothers around the world who are persecuted, oppressed for their faith. And what's really interesting is so often when you speak to people who are persecuted for their faith, seriously, and you ask what you can pray for them, they don't say pray that the persecution would stop. That's an easy way to stop the persecution. Stop following Jesus. They pray they'd be able to stand firm in the middle of it, not trying to pander to the authorities or the elite or the media or whatever it is that may cast aspersions on them, but simply to cling on to Jesus, the glorious one. 
And third application is simply this, that our worldly trappings, the cut of our jib, the Gucci, are meaningless before Christ. He's the glorious one. So we look at each other not on the basis of what we're wearing, how wealthy or not, our education background, simply as somebody that is loved by the God of the universe who needs God's mercy just as much as I do. That's a community that will change the world. And in our day and age of tribal division and echo chambers, that's a community that makes Jesus look amazing.